I was given some bad news a couple weeks ago. Uh, as you guys know, we're remodeling a, a building to be the home base for our church. Uh, and we're putting a, a lot of work in the inside of it, and it's uh, going well. If you uh, come to our prayer meeting tonight, you'll at least see at least parts of it. We won't be able to walk around the whole building because of tile work and other things that we can't be walking around. However, uh, you'll get to see a good representation of what you can expect in this facility. Uh, but the news I was given a few weeks ago was that there's a roof leak. Uh, and the problem didn't seem so big at first. When it rained, I could go in and we could see little spots that were wet. And I just said, well, I guess I need to call the owner to get him to work on the roof. And uh, it progressed. The more it rained, uh, the leaks became larger in more places. And so I was walking around and I got to this point where I looked at the wall where the ceiling met the exterior wall and it just looked like Niagara Falls falling through the building. And uh, I said, that's not a small leak. That's a problem. Uh, and we got uh, a roofer to come check it out. And it turns out uh, that uh, the roof that had been on there uh, was made out of foam and it had been compromised. And so all the rain that, that came down onto the roof had then absorbed into the foam like a sponge. And so I was told that uh, even if it doesn't rain, it will leak for months. I mean, that's how much uh, water this foam could absorb, that no matter what you did, uh, you were going to see uh, water in, in the building. Uh, and so, of course, that's, that's bad news for, uh, you know, a roof that needs to be dry. Uh, but all that's going to be fixed. It's not even the point of the illustration. The point of the illustration was uh, the fact that that roof could hold so much water uh, because of that foam absorbed so much of it that even if it didn't rain for months, that there'd be still water, and so much water that it'd be seeping out uh, even if you're not touching it. Now, the point <clears throat> that I'm trying to make uh, is what if your life was so saturated with the Bible? What if your life was so consumed and saturated in God's Word that no matter what happens, no matter what happens in your life, uh, it would just be coming out? Doesn't matter, uh, you know, if, if your life hasn't been going great for three months or four months or five months. Uh, when people looked at your life, it'd just be coming out. They'd walk into your life, uh, and no matter where they look, it just it's oozing out from the walls and the ceiling. And uh, you know, you, you've you saturated your kids so much because you're so saturated that we, your kids are spouting off Bible verses and talking about the Lord, and you know, it just it's everywhere. And you can't get rid of it because it's so saturated everything that if somebody didn't want the Bible, they couldn't have anything to do with you because you're so saturated with it. They just have to get rid of you altogether if they don't want the Bible. What if our life was so saturated with God's Word that that would be the case? That if I poked you, uh, the Bible just comes spewing out of your pores, right? And that's, uh, that's a picture that uh, I want to paint because I believe the Apostle Paul paints that in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. You can flip there now in your Bible. Please do. Don't, of course, you have the wrong reference there on your paper. So go flip it open, at least on your phone, because uh, we need to understand something uh, in our lives this morning, and it's this, number one, that cultivating a Bible-saturated life is so important if you uh, want to have answers to problems in your life, right? Uh, if you want uh, wisdom to deal with difficult things in your life, you're going to have to have Bible-saturated life. 
Uh, If you want to live a godly life, you're going to have to have a Bible-saturated life. That's just the, the bottom line of what it means to be a Christian growing in their faith. Now, here's the problem. If you will not have a Bible-saturated life, uh, it's not going to help you, but I would uh, love to uh, inform you and even persuade you that something worse would even happen, and that's this. Even worse than you not having Bible-saturated life and building your own life would be you misinforming other people based on your unsaturated life when they're looking for you for instruction and wisdom and counsel. You see, many of you can look over the past few days or a couple weeks of your life, and almost everyone in here has had somebody ask them a question about a decision they need to make. And they look to you for wisdom, and they look to you from counsel, and probably because at some point you told them that you were a Christian. Probably at some point because you told them that you love the Lord, you love God's Word, uh, and you're committed to it. So at least there's this foundational, fundamental understanding in someone else's life, and they look at you, they have to think at least somewhat, if they trust God and, and the Word, at least, uh, at least uh, on the outside, they would look at you and say, they probably have some answers that could help me. But, in, but unless you are Bible-saturated, the best you're going to give people is your opinion. And it's no wonder in the church, in our society these days, we have a lot of bad decisions being made. We have a lot of bad counsel being given because we have a church in America, a church in society that is not saturated in God's word. And so we have to make sure that if we're going to build God's church, if we're going to lead other people in thriving relationships with God, and if we're even ourselves are going to be built up to be godly people, to be wise people, we're going to have to do something fundamental to Christianity, and that's saturating our lives in God's word. Here in verses 16 and 17 of Colossians 3, we have Paul, the apostle, declaring to the Colossian Christians what it takes to thrive together as a church in an unholy world. And I don't want you to skip over that idea and that concept that that the apostle Paul is teaching the Colossian church how they ought to thrive together in an unholy world. Because when you leave these doors and you go out into the world, there's going to be a lot of counsel and a lot of worldly wisdom given out. Uh, And what we have to be careful is the things in which we bring into our lives and into our church is Bible-saturated wisdom and not worldly wisdom. And so we got to make sure that as we dive in this morning that we understand uh, what it means uh, to live a Bible-saturated life. Look at verse 16. It says there, to let the word of Christ dwell in you Richly, There's so much in that first phrase that I want to unpack for you. Uh, and the first is this, because we're going to have to understand what it means before we understand what we're going to do with it. Uh, the phrase, the word of Christ, because uh, you, you've heard in, uh, as you read the Bible, it's the word of God, it's the, or the word, or logos, which is the term here. Uh, and in the New Testament, logos can actually refer directly to the person of Christ, uh, but it can also refer to, in this sense, logos is the contextual understanding of the message that has been given by Christ and the apostles. And so what we see here when I read the word of Christ, I'm talking about the message of Christ in Scripture. Now, the message of Christ in Scripture for you and for me is all the contents of Scripture, not just the, uh, not just the wor- words in red you understand. Uh, because I say this, because Christ throughout the Gospels did a couple of things. He quoted Moses. He quoted the Psalms. Uh, he quoted 
all the Old Testament while he was teaching the gospel in the New Testament. And as he declared the gospel and then empowered the, the apostles to write the New Testament and the prophets in the New Testament to write out the New Testament, we understand that all of the Bible in our current context is the word of Christ. And so when we hear this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, we can rest assured and be fundamentally correct in understanding and asserting that when we hear the word of Christ here, we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about the whole Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it's the whole Bible, and that has to do something. It ought to dwell in you. This is the uh, importance for you and I, because if you misread the word of Christ, uh, and you, then you read the next phrase, dwell, uh, you may misappropriately uh, uh, ascribe that to the Spirit. Well, yeah, the Spirit dwells in me. I do that well. The Spirit dwells in me. I've turned from my sins. I've trusted in Christ. But you would misunderstand the text here. Of course, you have the Spirit dwelling in you, uh, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the Word of God dwelling in you, and that is in the context of the Bible, God's Word, the, the message about Christ. If you remember uh, months and months ago, when we first jumped into uh, the letter to the Colossians, this phrase had already occurred in chapter 1, talking about the message that has been declared to you, and it was the Word of Christ, the Gospel. So we're again talking about that same message through God's Word that ought to be dwelling in in you. That word dwell in the Greek simply means this. It ought to make its home inside of you. Uh, the Bible ought to be home in your life. Like It ought to be welcomed in your home, and as it, as it walks into your life and in your home, it ought to look like it belongs there. How many of us live a life where if the Bible opened your front door and walked into your life, it, it would look at home? You know, it could take its backpack off and knows where the, the milk is in the fridge and the butter, knows where the eggs, knows where the sugar is. I mean, is the Bible so welcome in your life that it could walk into your life and your home and know where everything is? I mean, that's something that I want to challenge you with. If we're going to make sure that the word of Christ, uh, the Bible, is dwelling in our lives, we've got to ask ourselves the question, is the message of Christ at home in your life? Or at least ask, to what degree is the message of Christ at home in your life? Is it a visitor? Is it somebody that doesn't feel super comfortable in your home uh, and, they're like, and they, they don't really feel like it's, it, it's their place, their abode? Uh, what about if you were uh, expecting a child? What about that? What if you're expecting a child? Uh, and you, when you've probably heard, uh, if you have ever had a child in here, if you're not, you're in my boat, don't have a kid, you understand the concept. Uh, when you find out that you are expecting your first child, uh, the first thing you do is say, this is exciting, and the second thing you do is look and say, this house is not ready for a child, right? Isn't that the first thing you do, the second thing you do, okay? And you look around and you recognize that your house is missing so much when it comes to appropriately raising a child, and even, it, maybe it has so, it doesn't have enough, but maybe it also has things that aren't appropriate for a child, dangerous things we need to move around and get rid of, uh, and you recognize that over the next nine months, you've got to at least somewhat prepare your home to introduce an infant into your home and soon to be a toddler uh, in a way uh, which would be appropriate for that child to be reared and nurtured in your home. Uh, and you do that, and it's what we have to do as, as parents, not even just as Christians, every parent does this, but if you were to take the Bible and put it in that place, when you became a Christian, did your life change? Did your home change? 
Or did everything kind of stay the same and you kind of just shove the Bible in there where it could fit? Or did you understand the necessity of making sure that the Bible was at home in your life? Because if the Bible doesn't fit in your life, we got to do something fundamental to the Christian life, and it is we need to remodel our life. We talk about building this facility, remodeling this building that we're moving into. Uh, but if the Bible doesn't fit into your life, and I'm not talking about the little book. I'm talking about the contents therein and how it ought to overflow out of your life. If those things aren't fitting in your life, then we got to get rid of all the things that are keeping it from fitting into our life. Because if it's going to dwell in us, it's got to be at home in us. And so many of the problems that we face in our life when it comes to the Bible dwelling in us is this. There's things that are not right in my life. There are things that are not godly in my life. Uh, And if I put the Bible in there, it's going to shine light on those areas. And that is just a good blessing from God that he is so gracious that he would shine light on those areas. But uh, the confrontation hits us squarely in the face when we recognize that, well, I really don't want the light to be shined on those areas. I really don't want to have to deal with those areas, so I'm going to leave the Bible over here where it fits so I can leave my life alone where it's at. Um, but we need to recognize that we can never let the word of Christ dwell in us if we're not allowing it to be at home in our life. Much more to say there, much more to recognize, but we got to understand in our own lives that there is a degree in which the Bible should be at home. And I, and I want to, to press this because I think Scripture is pressing this. Uh, the word that is used here in verse 16, if you look at it, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, and it needs to dwell in you in a certain way. It needs to dwell in you richly, richly. You need to, you need to circle that, underline that word in your Bible. It must dwell in you richly. Like it's an expectation that is, it isn't just tagged on to your life. It isn't a trailer hitched on to the back. Uh, it's not your, the dog that's outside, uh, chained up outside. We can't do that anymore. I think that's illegal. But uh, yeah, uh, it can't be something that's out there. It needs to be something that's in here. And as a matter of fact, your whole life should be revolving around it. It's, it's a sense of uh, this. Uh, here's what it ought not to be doing. Right? Uh, the Bible ought not to be poorly represented in your life inadequately. It ought not to be scarcely in your life, uh, and it ought not to be uncomfortably in your life. When you're reading scripture and something seems uncomfortable in scripture, that's probably because you're doing something in your life that is uncomfortable to the tenets of scripture. And so what we ought to do is we need to rip those things out that are uncomfortable in our lives to allow the Bible's words and contents to be the comfortable part of our life. Now that is the joy of being a Christian is we are so countercultural to society. And so when people walk into our house, they may feel uncomfortable, at least uh, in their conscience, which is a good thing. People ought to feel a sense of conviction when they enter into the home of a believer because my home is Bible-centered and not man-centered. And when people walk into my home, they should understand that and feel that because if they poke around, just like the leak on our building's roof, uh, when they poke around my life, it's just going to be oozing out of everywhere. They're going to recognize there's something different about this home. They're going to recognize that in this home, the Bible dwells here richly. In other words for that is opulently or lavishly, prosperously, abundantly. Are you feeling a little convicted yet? I am. To recognize, does the Bible live that way in your life? In, in your life, is that how you recognize your use of God's word? Or would you, like we've said previously, uh, see the Bible's use and place in your life as uh, poorly placed 
inadequate, scarce, or uncomfortably? Is the Bible scarcely uh, talked about in your home? Do you scarcely talk about the Bible in your own mind? Do you scarcely represent Scripture in any kind of uh, tangible way in, at work or at home, in your marriage, as you're raising your kids? Is the Bible even somewhere you can see it when you walk into the house? I mean, these are questions we have to answer uh, if we're going to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And there's reasons, because we're going to get to it in a moment, uh, that it's so important for you, pivotal for you, to have the Bible dwelling richly in your life if you're going to be any help and any support and encouragement to other people in the world. But you've got to make sure that in your life, the Bible is richly dwelling in your life. And this is why we say at our church that godliness matters. And I wouldn't say even our church. Uh, any Bible-teaching church is going to tell you that godliness matters. It matters to be holy because when I'm being holy, then there is an expression and a realization that I am letting the Word of Christ dwell in me richly. Because the Word of Christ will not thrive in an inadequate environment. Do you hear me? The Word of Christ will not thrive in an inadequate environment. And what I'm saying about this, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, belittling the omnipotence of God, because I'm not talking about the omnipotence of God, the all-powerful God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the Word of Christ, the, the Bible. Because when the Bible is not thriving in your life, that means it's not being purposed in your life, and it's not being centered in your life. So it's not going to thrive because you're not even taking care of it. You're not even allowing it to be useful in the way that you resolve conflict in your home, the way that you uh, would uh, teach your children uh, going out in the world, living in an un they're going to be in an unholy world, but you're trying to teach them how to live a holy world, uh, a holy life in an unholy world. How are you going to do that if the word of Christ is not dwelling richly in your life? We've got to recognize that the word of Christ is not going to thrive in an adequate environment. And so you should not be surprised when your home life isn't great. Your marriage isn't great. Your kids are rambunctious uh, in a bad sense. There's good ways kids can be rambunctious, I guess. In uh, a plethora of other areas in your life, and they don't match up to what Scripture says and the peace that ought to rule that we talked about last week, correct? We talked about letting the peace of Christ rule in your life. Well, the peace of Christ is not going to rule in your life if the Word of Christ is not ruling in your life. And so when you look at your own life and you find all of these chaotic things going on and all the, the anxiety and all the stress of the world coming in on you, I ask, is the word of Christ dwelling richly in you? Because the peace of Christ is not going to dwell where the word of Christ is not dwelling. And it's simple as this, at least as a Christian, because we have the Spirit in us because we have the ability for the peace of Christ to dwell in our lives. If you want the word of Christ to dwell richly in your life, you have to do this, and it's point number one. You need to put more Bible in your life. I don't want to oversimplify it, but I believe that it is as simple as this. Put more Bible in your life. You want the word of Christ to dwell richly? You need more Bible in your life. My wife makes the best guacamole ever. And you're probably like, does she? Yes, yeah, she does. She really does. She truly, truly does. Uh, it's a great. And uh, after she's done making it, she always makes me taste it, which I'm always open to do. Uh, and she says, can you try this? 
Uh, and I take a bite, and she always asks, does it need more lime? And I say, it always needs more lime, okay? Your guacamole always needs more lime. Uh, and I treat my life like I treat my wife's guacamole. All right, my wife's guacamole always needs more lime. My life always needs more Bible, right? You didn't even have to ask me. And so even if you're somebody here, it's like I spend 23 and a half hours a day in my Bible. I'm like, there's 30 more minutes of Bible in there somewhere, okay? Uh, and, and I only say that... Uh, to help you realize you don't have enough Bible in your life. Most of us don't spend 23 and a half hours in the Bible. Most of us don't spend 10 minutes a day in the Bible. And then we wonder why our lives are so uh, truncated when it comes to godliness or, or so evaporated when it comes to joy and peace in our lives when we don't even have the Bible represented in our lives in any way where it's dwelling richly. Now you realize when my house isn't richly dwelling in peace uh, and the patience of Christ, when the Word of God is closed in my house 99.999% of the time. Like I said earlier, if you don't have enough room in your life for the Bible, you need to remodel the space in your life so the Bible takes center stage. You know when you have something really nice, somebody gives you something really nice, and you put it into your house, and it's really, 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 really nice. Uh, you're going to move things out of the way a little bit, and you're going to put it there, and you're going to clean up around it. And when people walk in, it's going to be the thing that they see. You know, when they walk in and they look around, they're going to notice that thing because it's important. And I wonder if in your life, not just in your home, but in your life, when people walk into your life and, and begin talking to you, do you make space and room in your life for when people walk into your life, they recognize that the Word of Christ is dwelling there? Do people recognize that the Word of Christ is, uh, is, is pouring out of your life because you're so saturated with it that it doesn't matter wh what, where they walk into your life, what environment they walk in, whether it's at work or whether it's at home, they recognize that in your life there's something coming out of it, and it's always the Bible. It's always God's Word. It's always the Word of Christ. There's a lot of ways you can do this, and I hate to try to give you a, uh, a checklist because your life is never going to be made holy because of a checklist. It's going to be holy because God is working through your life, through His Spirit, uh, and hopefully through your obedience to allow things to be brought about in your life. Does that make sense? Uh, and so here's some things you can do on your part of what we call sanctification is you have a part in your sanctification. And there's things you need to be doing to put more Bible in your life. And I want to help you with a couple of those. Uh, number one, scripture memory. If you look on the back of your uh, note, note sheet even right now, you'll recognize that in the right, the right side in the margins, there is a Bible memory verse. Well, I tell you, there is nothing that's going to help you more in life in so many ways than when things come up in your life and God's Word immediately comes up in your life. The wisdom of God comes into your life in real time and allows you to address circumstances in your life based on God's Word. And there is nothing to be more helpful for you in the throes of life and the throes of conflict than as you're trying to deal and navigate through conflict and navigate through life that God's word would immediately come to mind. You can say it and then use it and apply it to your life to resolve whatever difficulty you're dealing with in life. Because we understand, as we've talked about many times, that God's word uh, is beneficial for all those things. It helps you understand all things concerning life and godliness. So if it has to do with life and it has to do with holiness, the Bible answers the question. And so you can rest assured that as you are saturating your life with Scripture, that memorizing Scripture is going to help you deal with the things in your life. Those of you who commute back and forth to work, uh, we have this wonderful thing called uh, the Compass Equip Podcast. The Compass Equip Podcast goes live every Sunday evening, uh, and it's simply this. 
It goes over our sermon that we're preaching right now, just kind of highlights it. We then talk about the daily Bible reading, which we'll get to in a little bit. Our daily Bible reading, which our church every single year reads all the way through the Bible every year on repeat. Uh, and we also go through a commentary of everything you would read that week if you followed along with us. So as you're driving to work, you not only get a highlight reel from this sermon, you also get what we're going to read all week as you read with us in Scripture. And at the end of it, we always take time to go over a special topic uh, that, through a biblical worldview. This week we talked about stewardship and prayer and how God has stewarded us so much to, to do and to serve him with, and how prayer partners with that uh, for us to successfully accomplish the things that God has set us out to do. Wouldn't you want to learn how to be a better steward of your life when it comes to prayer and the things that God has given you? we got a podcast that talks about it. Use that time as you commute back and forth to, to take in great content. How many of you listen to superfluous music or superfluous content as you drive back and forth from work, and you get to where you're going, and you're like, I don't even really know what I listen to, but I'm, I'm at work. Well, instead, use that time and put content in your life that's going to saturate your life with God's Word. It doesn't matter if you're a student or if you're at school, if you're at high school, I did this every week when I was in high school, I would, we would eat lunch on Friday, and we would speedily go into a conference room and have a Bible study. Well, if you're a student here and you're in school with, with peers, you can rest assured that most of your peers do not have Bible-saturated lives. You can be almost positive. Uh, and something you can do in your life is to be doing those kind of Bible studies to prepare also to do something we're going to talk about a little, a little bit later. But you need to be Bible-saturated so you can do something in others' lives as well. So much more. I could keep going on and on and on. But at the end of the day, you've got to equip yourself through discipleship. And discipleship is something you do with other people. And discipleship is you do something as you read Scripture. Uh, discipleship is something that happens through the Holy Spirit and you engaging with His Word. And it also happens through the engagement you have with other believers when it comes to God's Word in our lives. And so you have got to be jumping into discipleship. And I put it, really, it's this way. You need to find someone who has a Bible-saturated life and say, hey, can you come saturate my life a little bit? I mean, that's really as simple as it is. Go find someone who every time you poke them or every time you see something, it's just coming out and say, hey, can you get that over here a little bit? I want some of that. I mean, that's really the bottom line is you got to get out there, find someone who's Bible-saturated, and get them to come into your life because you need more Bible in your life. More Bible for you personally is going to be is important, is a really pivotal if you're going to obey God's Word in the rest of verse 16. And I really want to sit here because this is so important, and I think this is missing in our church. Our church, the church, the big C church, okay? This is missing in the big C church, the worldwide church. Verse 16, you need to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and here's why. Because we ought to be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So here's something we need to understand, teaching. That word uh, didasco, to instruct, that's the Greek word didasco, to, it's to instruct and, and to inform and to teach one another. Did you know it's not just the pastor's job to teach in church? Well, I mean in church, I don't mean the collective, us here, here's a pulpit, uh, here's a message, I'm, I'm didaskos, I'm teaching you all. You would say I'm also caruso, I'm, I'm proclaiming, which is a different word, but connected in some ways. Uh, I'm proclaiming and caruso preaching to you, but even if I'm not carusoing and preaching from the pulpit, uh, we can be didasko outside as we're living our lives. Uh, your responsibility, uh, just like my responsibility, is to teach and instruct people concerning God's word. We ought to all, not just the pastor's job, it's the whole church's job, to teach people. 
There's another word. Some of you who may be all about teaching probably are not all about this word, uh, and it's the Greek word nutateo, and it is what we have rendered in the English, admonish. Uh, you can also uh, interpret that to counsel, to give instruction, uh, not to teach them something, but to direct them a certain way, to counsel, to direct them. Also, not just the pastor's job. The pastors, we do biblical counseling. We, we invite counseling into our homes all the time because that is such a part of what it means to shepherd God's people. However, it is also the church's job to shepherd people. Uh, and I'll put it to you this way. Do you know that 90% of all the counseling at Compass Bible Church happens outside of the pastor's offices. Did you know that? And you say, well, how so? Well, how many times has somebody in this church come up to you and ask your thoughts on something or ask your opinion on something? Or my favorite, when they ask, uh, what's your uh, view on this? Uh, no one's asking your opinion, no one's asking your thoughts, and no one's asking uh, your view. Uh, the only thing that you give people is God's word, right? That's, that's what it means to counsel. I don't want to give anybody my opinion, my view, my thoughts. I'm going to give them God's word, and then we're going to apply it. And so that's really what I mean here, because you may be telling people, uh, I gave somebody my opinion the other day, or I gave people my thoughts on something. Well, that's the, that's the wrong idea of what it means as a Christian to be giving uh, nutateo, to be admonishing and counseling people. Uh, your opinion doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. What we need to be giving people is something much better, something much more impactful and fruitful for them. Now, you see, again, when I talk about teaching and admonishing, why now it's so important as we go back to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Because if the Word of Christ isn't pouring out of your life, there is no way you're going to be able to give anybody any worthwhile teaching and any worthwhile counsel. And it's so important that the Word of Christ is dwelling in us richly so that the whole church can teach and admonish. See, the problem, uh, even in good churches, uh, is that the pastor uh, has you know, learned and gone to school and studied, and, and week in and week out, they give themselves to the study of Scripture so they can get up and they can preach it. Uh, but the problem is, the rest of the church isn't. And when the rest of the church isn't, then it actually leaves a giant gap and a giant crater in the life of the church where there's one person teaching and counseling when the whole church is supposed to be teaching and counseling. So that if we would... Do what Scripture is asking us and let the Word of Christ dwell and make itself at home in you richly. Then when people come up to you and say, hey, there's something going on at work and I just, I need your, I need your thoughts. And you say, I don't want to give you my thoughts. I'm going to give you God's Word. And here's what God's Word says about that kind of situation. Let's figure out how we can apply that. How much more help could you be in someone's life when that comes out of your mouth instead of, well, I'll tell you what, last time somebody did that, I gave them a little whop upside the head and they didn't do that ever again. Okay, that's not helpful, okay? Even illegal, one would say. But we got to be willing to give direction to one another in, in, in this way, right? In all wisdom. We talk about this word quite a bit here, and it's the word Sophia, okay? And it is this. It's the ability to appropriately use knowledge, Okay, it's your ability to appropriately use knowledge. Now, I'm not just talking about the knowledge of the world. We've already talked about that in Colossians over and over again. We're not talking about worldly wisdom here. We're talking about godly wisdom. And your ability to teach and admonish is directly correlated with your ability to use God's wisdom in the life of others. I mean, that is what it means to be a faithful believer, is that you are being helpful to people in our church and in our community. Uh, when, it, when they need help, you're able to give them something that is of value. The problem, I think, I believe, and I think you would agree, 
that oftentimes what we give people and what other people give people is of no value when it comes to God's word. And we got to make sure that as we are being richly uh, saturated in God's word, that we can give something of value. Now, we get to a section here, which all of your worship pastors and worship leaders and people who just love worship music uh, love to go to verse 16 uh, and say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Right? I mean, that is, that's really your worship, your worship pastor's go-to verse when they talk about why we do these things. Uh, these are great uh, examples of what happens in the life of a believer when they are appropriately being saturated with God's word. This is going to happen. Okay, they're going to be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and here is the crux, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The context here isn't that people are singing. The context here is what they are singing. Okay, what they are singing is thanksgiving to God. Really, it's the content. So much, so it's important when it comes to our teaching, when it comes to our counseling, uh, when it comes to even the music and the songs that come out of our lives is the content of the message, the content of the music, the content of the teaching, the content of the counseling, and it all goes back to the word of Christ dwelling richly in your life. Not to get off on too much of a tangent, but that's why we pick music and we curate music in here so carefully, because what comes out of the mouth of the church uh, says a lot about the content in which we take in. And so we got to make sure that the songs that we sing even here are things that really do, in so many ways, uh, express and pour out the thankfulness that we have in our hearts to God. So it's not that we sing, it's what we sing. We see all throughout Scripture that song often happens and correlates and is connected to a time of thanksgiving. Okay? Oftentimes, the songs that are sung are directly connected to the thanksgiving that people are feeling inside. Right? David was thankful, and he what? He sang. Okay? It's not that he sang that was important. It was that he was thankful, and it produced the singing. Okay? And so that's why I just, in here it's so important for us to understand uh, you getting in here and just singing songs over and over and over again is not, is not what matters here. It's the content in your life which pours forth in utterances of thanksgiving. You know, if you come in here and you sing, uh, that's of, of no value to God if it's not through thankfulness in which you're singing, which is why it's so important when you have worship leaders and worship pastors and worship directors or who, whatever one you have at your church, uh, that it's not that they are good at singing, it's that they're good at being thankful, right? It's that Thanksgiving pours out of their hearts, and in their context, it comes out through what they sing. I'm not interested in the best singer in the universe. I'm interested in the best Thanksgiving individual in the world because that's what I want to be as I am uh, teaching and admonishing and singing. That's what Psalm 13, 5, and 6 say. We're going to talk about being thankful. Psalm 13, 5, and 6 says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. So here, here's the content of their thanksgiving. It pours out in these two concepts. All right, Psalm 13, 5, it says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. So I'm going to be thankful because I've trusted in your steadfast love, which isn't that the Christian faith? Uh, I can be thankful because I've trusted in Christ. His steadfast love has been poured out to me. Okay, so I'm trusting in the steadfast love 
of God, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. So I have salvation because I've trusted in the Lord. And so therefore, what happens in my life because I've trusted in God and, his, and I give thanks for that salvation, here's what happens. Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountiful with me. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, what I do love about our church is we don't have a lot of worship conflict in our church, so I don't feel the need to jump onto the worship conflict bandwagon to make sure that we agree every, you know, on all the music we do, because we do. We're a very united church when it comes to those things. Praise the Lord. Uh, but with that comes so many people who are so conflicting about worship music and what we sing and what you don't sing and how we do it and how we don't do it is really of no matter to me. Because the, the grateful thing here is the music isn't for you and it's not for me, it's for God. Uh, and the music isn't because we want to like it, it's because we want God to like it and we want to express our thankfulness with it. And so really, it's got nothing to do with me, it's got to do with how God has dealt bountifully with me. And so really the question comes before you even sing, do you recognize how God has dealt bountifully with you? Because if you first don't recognize the work that God has done in your life by extending you steadfast love, bestowing upon you the gift of salvation, you recognizing how bountifully God has dealt with you, your singing is really all for naught. I mean, we, I think any secular individual can love the sound of worship music, don't you? Sounds pretty, very melodious very crisp, very clean. There's something to it, but only the Christian can understand that it is through my worship that I recognize the steadfast love of God, His salvation, and how He has dealt bountifully with me. And it is in that posture that we gather here on Sunday mornings and we sing. And we sing to God because of the content of our lives, because of the content of the message of the Word of Christ. Therefore, now we can get together and sing because we recognize what we're singing for. And any Christian who recognizes what we're singing for will realize that the, the songs that we sing are important because of the content. And that we are singing is important because we're trying to give him thanks. And the content of what we're singing is important because of who we're singing it to. Not that I particularly enjoy a particular song, uh, but because I enjoy giving thanks to a particular God. So that's why I say all of this, from teaching to counseling to singing and thanksgiving, it's really the church's way of putting more Bible in the lives of others. And that's point number two on your outline. Write it down this way. Uh, you need to put more Bible in the lives of others. That's why how you live and how you act is so important, because all of your life should be putting more Bible in the lives of others. And when it's not, that's when we do the wonderful Christian thing of repenting. Just turn from the sin, walk away from it, because your life should be all together putting more Bible in the lives of others. Paul says it this way in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. You can go there if you're in your Bible, because it's just a couple of chapters north of where you're at right now. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. We, did, we went through this verse a, few, a couple months ago. It's where Paul says in verse 28, him we proclaim. So that's our job, right? We're proclaiming Christ. And here's how we're going to do it. By warning and teaching everyone. There's the same words, the same Greek words. I know you just heard it admonish, but the same word, nutateo. 
They're the same Greek words. Are we all on the same page there? Those are the same Greek words. We just rendered them in two different English words. But if you go to the Greek, they're the same words. Warning and admonishing, the same word. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone. There it is again. We're teaching. It's our job to teach and admonish and warn everyone. And again, here's what we do it, with all wisdom. So Paul just reiterates what he's saying again from verse 28 and 29 of chapter 1, he's doing it again here. We got to warn and we got to teach everyone, and it's with all wisdom. And I tell you this because what we got to understand is it's a very significant theme in Scripture that we are all participating in the teaching and the counseling of God's people and of our community. When people come up and they say, well, my life's a wreck and, you know, I've done all these terrible things and, and I, you know, recognize that they've never responded to the gospel, uh, and I say, hey, have you, you heard the gospel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I walked down the aisle when I was eight and I you know, prayed a prayer. And I'm going to preach the gospel, recognizing that whatever they prayed wasn't a prayer of salvation. It was most likely a rote prayer that somebody asked them to repeat. And it never actually exacted any change in their life whatsoever. Uh, but what they truly needed is the spirit to come and dwell in their life, to make the changes in their life. Because I can give a non-Christian all the counsel in the world, and they're going to recognize that they can't obey the law. Because the law points out sin. It doesn't keep you from sin. All right, we understand that through Romans, don't we? All right, the law doesn't keep us from sinning. It points out the sin. And so for me to give somebody a whole list of the law, they're just going to walk out with a better understanding of how they've messed up. My job is to help them understand they need the Spirit of God to exact a change that comes into a life of a Christian. And so for me to properly teach and to counsel someone, even on the outside who's not a Christian, it's for me to properly understand how the gospel is used to impact the lives of people. And then as a Christian comes in for counseling, then we say, hey, you've been changed. You have now the power within you to do these things for sanctification. Now let's look at what God's word says and how we can do those things together. See, there it is, teaching and counseling in all wisdom. I'm going to do it with the wisdom that God's given me as I have the word of Christ richly dwelling in me. I can now use it to impact the lives of people around me. So good. A lot of ways to do this. I want to ask in your marriage, have you ever, do you ever do Bible studies with your spouse? I mean, do you ever get in the Word of God together with your spouse? Do you ever talk about what you've learned in Scripture? Do you have a lot of conflict in your marriage? A lot of disagreement in your marriage? Uh, what if instead of all that time you're spending disagreeing and fighting over everything, you spend a lot of that time talking through God's Word? Letting the Word of Christ dwell richly within you, you as individuals and pouring overflowing into your marriage. And I promise you that so much of your conflict and the, and the disarray in your marriage is going to become united because of the Word of Christ. And so I encourage you, spend time in the daily Bible reading together and asking the simple question, Hey, what did you learn today in the daily Bible reading? I'd love to hear what you learned, and I want to tell you what I learned. And you spend that time engaging in the Word of God together. Simple. This is, that's not magic right there. That's just simple. Spend some time during the day talking about God's word with one another. Talk about your kiddos, right? I mean, how many of you want your kiddos saved, right? You're like, I want my kids saved. There's no one. Okay, good. All right. Well, you should want your kids saved, okay? And here's how you can do it, uh, making them wise unto salvation. That's what Paul said to Timothy, wasn't it? Uh, we recognize that, that, you know, at some point, kids... And children are at a place in their life where they understand the gospel and they can respond to the gospel through turning from their sin and trusting in Christ. We recognize that. The job to get them to at that point is to make them wise unto salvation, which is what Paul was thankful for Timothy, that his mother and his grandmother had raised him and made him wise unto salvation by teaching him the sacred scriptures. And so for me, I look at our church and I say, are you guys, uh, 
you know, teaching your kiddos the, the sacred words of God? Like when they go to bed at night and you go in there, uh, are we praying with them and teaching them a little bit about God's word? Because if we're not, and then they, they grow up and, and they, become, they have animosity towards God and animosity towards the church and they don't want anything to do with the church, the question is, well, did you help them love the church? Did you raise them loving God and loving God's people? Did we at least help them understand the rationale why we should love God and why we should love people? I get that you can't force your child to get saved. That's a work of God. But we can put them in the firing lines of that grace every single night. Every single night, we can put them right in front of God's Word and say, all right, here's what the Bible says. And I believe that God would see that faithfulness and respond to it and offer and bestow the salvation that only Christ can offer to your kids. And I would pray that you would take that serious enough to put more Bible in the lives of others, and that's including your spouse and your kids. Any of you in here have uh, own a business or at least have people working under you, and they're rowdy, and they're just ridiculous, right? And you're dealing with, uh, as you're their boss, you actually deal with more conflict resolution than you do with work productivity, maybe, okay? Uh, Do you ever uh, take time uh, in your meetings to pray for them? to talk to them about Scripture and the importance of prayer in the lives of Christians uh, and even show them how important it is for you? Uh, do you have a time uh, once, uh, once a week, once a month, once a quarter to say, hey, uh, we're going to take some time and we're going to do a Bible study. I want to teach you what I learned at church this weekend. I want to teach you uh, something that God has taught me recently. You see, what I'm saying here is putting more Bible in the lives of others is just you taking some time and stepping back and recognizing all that overflow of God's Word in my life now needs to be poured out in the lives of others. And that's my responsibility when it comes to teaching and admonishing, at least in the church, but I would argue even outside the church, as you are having influences in people outside of our church, as you are leading in other areas of society, you ought to be putting more Bible in the lives of others of others. So much more to say here. But really, putting more Bible in the lives of others can be as simple as committing to make sure that whatever you do is done to represent Christ. And that's really what we get into in verse 17. If you look at verse 17, putting more Bible in the lives of others is as simple as making sure that every single thing that you do is done to represent Christ. There's a distinction I'm going to make in a moment, uh, but we got to at least get down to this. Whatever you do, in verse 17, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There in verse 17, word and deed, uh, it's a a Greek phrase in their culture, which is great because there's really no stretch here. You would get this, okay? Word and deed was a phrase that just meant it encompasses all of life. Whatever word comes out of your mouth, uh, whatever deed you do, which is if the, both of those things encompass every single thing that consists of you as a human being, okay? Uh, and so really what we're saying here is everything that happens in your life, everything should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I understand that everything I do is done in concert with the character and nature of Christ. Now, here's the distinction I do want to make for you is this. I'm not, or I should say this, Scripture is not saying that make sure that everything you can do uh, can be done by a Christian. You you hear me what I'm saying? I'm not saying that what you got to do is make sure before you make a decision, uh, open up Scripture and say, can Christians do this? That's that's not what Scripture is saying here. Actually, it's saying quite the opposite. Uh, We're not just saying, hey, do these things because Christians are allowed to do them. It's saying, am I doing this in the name of Jesus? Is whatever I'm doing, uh, can I say and claim to make... Well, I shouldn't say, can I? Am I doing this in the name of Jesus? 
Like whatever you're about to do, stop at every turn in your life, whether you're going to say a word or do a deed, and say, I'm going to make sure that if I'm doing this, I'm going to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the great thing about our sanctification, about God's word, is as we look at this, and I get to a point in my life, uh, and I'm about to say something, and I recognize that I cannot say that in the name of the Lord. So I'm not going to say it. Do you see how your life just got a lot more simplified? Probably a lot more, uh, a lot more peace going on in your life because now you're going to get to a point, whether you're in an argument with somebody uh, or, uh, or you're trying to say something and you, and you can't come out right. Well, maybe it's because you understand that in your life, I can't do that in the name of Christ, so I'm not going to do it. Or whatever action you're going to make, whatever business move you're going to make, uh, whatever friends you're going to make, if you're a student in here, or all of us, frankly, whatever friends you're going to make, and say, can I befriend this person in the name of Christ? You see, if whatever you do in word and deed is done in the name of Christ, your life is going to look more like Christ. Because there should be nothing that you could possibly do in life that doesn't match the character and the nature of who Christ is. And when you allow the decisions and the words that you say to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, then your life has nothing and no other choice but to conform itself to the image of Christ. That's good news. Isn't that simple? I mean, you can walk out of here thinking, wow, that's, is that easy, huh? Yes, it is. Praise God through his spirit that enables us to make life that easy for you and I to be holy in an unholy world. So much good here. And it talks here in verse, the end of verse 17, to give thanks to God the Father through him. So thanks, and I, I want you to understand how big of a theme Thanksgiving is in the letter to the Colossians. We see Paul talking about Thanksgiving in chapter 1, verse 11, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 3, verse 15, and chapter 3, verse 16, chapter 3, verse 17, where we're at, and Colossians 4, verse 2. The whole letter is talking about Thanksgiving. And really, the interesting concept here is Paul is telling the Colossians, uh, here's what it means to be a Christian. Here's what Christ has done. Uh, here's how we should be living. That's really the, the, the sections of, of Colossians. And in all those sections, it talks about being, thanks, being thankful. And really what that means is for you and I, no matter what we're doing, we have to do it with overflowing with Thanksgiving. And that's why it's important that whatever words you're speaking can be done from a posture of being thankful to God. I mean, and I really want you to think for a moment the conversations that you would not have had this week if you would have had those conversations recognizing that you needed to be thankful to God in those situations. Would less conflict have happened in your life? Would a more glorifying outcome happened in your life if you would have made sure that whatever was coming out of your mouth was glorifying to God and done in thanksgiving to God? Now you've asked, well, why do I got to be thankful to God? Because he saved you from the utter pits of hell, right? And, and I, you, you may giggle or think, oh, yeah, that's, that's why. I mean, you were destined for, for wrath and for God's punishment. He had brought you out of that. He had placed you into his beloved kingdom. I mean, that is like, and so therefore, everything I'm done is an overflow of the thanksgiving of what God had done for me. And so now when I walk around and somebody did me wrong, which happens to all of us, somebody does you so wrong, you can walk around and you can walk into that situation saying, I am not offended. I am not, not going to take this and make this a big deal because I recognize that what Christ has done for me is much greater than anything I'd have to do to reconcile this situation. And so I can let the peace of Christ rule in my heart because I've let the word of Christ rule in my heart. And so therefore, whatever word or deed I'm doing, I can be done through thankfulness to God 
through him. And that's the significance here. I'm thankful to God the Father through him. So my thankfulness to God comes through Christ. That's because he's the mediator. Yeah, you understand? He's the mediator of a new covenant. Right, we no longer need a, a high priest to offer sacrifices before us at the altar because we have a high priest and his name is Jesus. And therefore, my worship doesn't go straight to God the Father. It goes through Christ, which it makes my worship acceptable and then goes to God. That's how I know that what is done in my life is acceptable to God when I'm doing it as I'm saturated with the Word of God. I know it's acceptable to God because it's going through Christ. And that's why i got to make sure that everything that I do can be done in Christ. Y'all see how all this connects? I'm telling you, the Christian faith is not that complicated here. Okay, We just got to recognize the purpose of our lives. And what we got to do is stop trying to shove a square peg in a round hole uh, when we're made to be round into a round hole. We're Christians. Therefore, we live Christian lives in Christ, and we're pleasing to God through Christ as we're living Christian lives. See, that was round. That made sense. Right? That's how we live as Christians. And I want to go back right to Psalm 13, 5, and 6. You don't have to go to it because you've already been there. Uh, Psalm 13, 5 through 6. I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. So therefore, everything I'm done, everything I'm doing is done through thanksgiving for how you have bountifully dealt with me. Everything I do. See, if every single thing that you've done in your life was done through the lens of trusting in the love of God, rejoicing in the salvation of God, and doing everything because of how he has dealt bountifully with me, if everything is done through those lenses, how different would your life be every day? Pretty different, I'd bet. So let's make sure that we are, as I put in point number three, appropriately representing Christ in everything. Point number three, appropriately represent Christ in everything. And this should be the call of your life. Every single time you get into a situation, can you say, can I appropriately represent Christ in this situation? And if I can't, I'll leave the situation. When I can, I then deal with that situation by representing Christ appropriately. I love this verse, Romans 12, 11. Jot that down, Romans 12, 11. Romans 12, 11 says this, that you ought not to be slothful in zeal, but you should be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. This is what it means to appropriately represent Christ in everything. We, we aren't going to be lazy in our excitement for God. Right, that's slothful, lazy, slow, uh, lethargic. Right? We're not going to be slow and lethargic and lazy in our zeal for the Lord and in, in our excitement and in just our the, the amount of just mm, you know like readiness. That's so we can't be lazy in how much we're ready to represent Christ. And that's a direct command in Scripture. You can't be lazy and slow in being excited for the Lord. You can't be lazy and slow in those things. However, here's what you should be. You should be fervent in spirit. Okay? That means like you should be just ready to go. You wake up in the morning, your feet hit the floor, you give a big clap, and you say, I'm ready to serve the Lord today. Right? That's what it means to be fervent in spirit. That means when I, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to do whatever the Lord has for me to do, and I'm ready to appropriately represent Christ in everything I do, because the next phrase is, I want to serve the Lord. Doulos, servant. I'm a sl slave of Christ. Doulos means slave. We are slaves of Christ. That means uh, you ought to have the great attitude to serve Christ, but when it comes down to it, you have no other choice because he has purchased you. He has bought you. He owns you. And so whether or not we want to be fervent in spirit, that is our only option because we have been purchased and bought. You ever recognize that the, the language that we use, that we love so much about Scripture, you know, he purchased me, he bought me, I'm his, I'm not my own. That's slave language. And it's a slave language that describes the Christian's relationship to Christ. We're his. 
He owns us. And so the joy is we can be fervent in spirit and we can serve the Lord because it's our only option because we're Christians. And so we don't do it slothfully or lazily or slowly, but we do it exuberantly and excitingly, and we're doing it all to serve the Lord, all to be a good representative of Christ. Really, it all comes down to understanding that uh, you are here at the request of the king. You are, you are, you are a Christian at the request of the king. Uh, You are at this church at the request of the king, uh, and you understand that in Scripture we are called ambassadors, We are called children, so we're ambassadors of the king, we're children of the king, we are slaves of the king, Uh, we are stewards of the king and of God's varied grace. Those are titles that describe who the Christian is in the presence of God. And all of those things, all of those amount to how we steward our responsibility as children of God, as slaves of God as ambassadors of God and as stewards of God. And so it very much matters how we appropriately represent Christ in every single thing that we do. Because it is our representation of Christ that should do these things. I want you to, to zoom in for a second as we close. Okay? Your representation of Christ should give hope to the hopeless. It should. should. And it, it doesn't matter. It, it, there's many ways. For example, uh, when people look at my life, my life isn't perfect. Okay, you can zoom back into my past, zoom into my future, live in the present, whatever you do. My life isn't perfect. And there's a lot of hopelessness in life. But when people look at at my life, hopefully you come out with a glimmer of hope because you saw, wow, that person's representing Christ in such a way that their situation is not, uh, does not depend on how they're feeling right now or how good things are going or how bad things are going. The, The hope that he has is really kind of wound up in how he's representing Christ. That's that's going to give hope. To the hopeless. I'm going to be able to sustain peace much, much better. I'm going to be able to be a peacemaker in my life because I'm representing Christ. I get to remove barriers in my life and in my family because I'm representing Christ. I get to build up and not tear down. And by God's grace, I get to give conviction to a fallen world. Isn't that the most, that is the most a poignant reminder for the Christian. It's that everything you do ought to provide a kind of conviction to a world who is running away from God. Now, everyone's running this way, you're running this way. And, and as you're running this way, people are going to look back and say, why is that person running that way? 90% of people are going to say you're a fool. The other 10% say that person probably knows something that I don't. I should probably turn and go that way. That's called turning uh, to Christ and trusting in him. That's our job. And the only way you're going to do that well is if your life is Bible-saturated. The only way you're going to do that is if you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Because that's the only way in which you can give anybody anything good to go on. And then as you represent Christ well in everything you're doing, the hope is not only that in your life you would be godly and holy and productive and faithful, but you would also give conviction to people who see your life, and that they, by God's grace, would also understand their need for Christ. Pray with me. God, I do thank you for this opportunity for us to be together, to hear your word, to recognize the need for our lives, to be uh, Bible-saturated, for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, to recognize that's the only way we're going to be holy in our own life, but it's the only way that we're going to be of any good for anybody else, whether that's our children, our grandchildren, uh, whether that's our, our spouses or our coworkers, God, whatever we do, uh, whatever help we provide, it's only going to be as good as uh, what we have 
And God, I pray that as we are richly uh, dwelling in the word of Christ, that what we offer and what we can provide to people is of ultimate importance. And God, and as we represent you well in our church and in our city, uh, that it could surely uh, provide us with a joy, that it could surely provide us with a kind of uh, peace and fulfillment that comes through obeying you and following you, but also uh, on top of that, God, that it would be useful in convicting other people uh, that they would see their need to turn from their own sin and to trust in you. So God, help us live that out this week. God, give us the conviction uh, and God, give us the encouragement needed to live that kind of life this week. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.